I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When I exited the station, I noticed on the ground a bundle and what I thought was a doll on the ground, little two legs sticking out, and I'm exiting and right before I'm out of view, I glance back one more time, and that's when the legs started to move. I ran back up to that payphone. I called Pete and blurted out, I found a baby. But the day that he came home, which was on December 22nd, we carried him home. We could have taken a taxi or a cab from there, but no. He came into our lives. We found each other on the subway. We're going to go home on a subway. Hello, 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 and welcome to Some Families. If you don't already know, then I am Stu Oakley. I am an adoptive dad to three little angel stroke bloody terrors. And I am Lottie Jeffs, and I'm the other mother to a gorgeous little almost three-year-old girl who is quite frankly, in charge of everything in the Jeffs household. I can believe that. I've seen her at work, I can imagine for sure. Mm. Dear listener, in today's episode, we have two fabulous guests, Danny and Pete, that have a really super amazing adoption story. And we don't just say that lightly. This is truly a story that is going to blow your mind. So Danny and Pete are our second guests in this series who are based in New York City. And 20 years ago, they found a baby lying on the floor in a subway station. Fast forward two years and that baby became their son. And Pete has actually written a book about it called Our Subway Baby, which we'll be talking about. And it's a gorgeous children's book about their little family story. But before we talk to Danny and Pete, Stu Oakley, how are you? I am fine. It's been a lovely week. The sun has been out. Life feels like it's getting a bit more back to not normal, but just being able to do things, which is very, very nice post lockdown and dear listener if you're listening to this in lockdown 22 i'm actually talking about the the 2021 lockdown oh I just don't have, joke How i have visions funny <laughs> i have visions <laughs> so of covid depressing. covid 2034 or something Stop but anyway <laughs> how are you how are you i'm good thank you this week my wife and daughter and i were lucky enough to go and stay at a hotel in london 
um, because my wife is a travel writer, so she gets invited to review hotels and me and my daughter get to tag along, which is rather lovely. I saw this. I was jealous. I, I was know. watching I'm from sorry. Instagram. I'm sorry. I did think twice about posting, but then I just thought, you know what? It's been a long time since I've had a glamorous <laughs> sojourn. And it was just really nice because my little girl was so sweet and polite to everyone. And I felt so proud of her. And I do find in those situations when she is good is like a real extra pride of like, mm-hmm, two mums and a little girl who's going around saying to everyone, thank you for having me. I had a really nice time. Thank you for having me. And I just felt like we were a really good representation of uh, two mums for people that maybe hadn't encountered two mums before. And it's always lovely and reassuring to travel, even if it is within your own city, and stay somewhere where you're completely welcomed. You're not having to have that awkward. I don't know if you've ever had this, Stu, but before we had our child, like having to phone down to the concierge and be like, uh, actually, we don't want twin beds. Can yes. we have a double bed, please? The twin bed situation, what is with that? I know, I mean, or like having to I push just... beds together and like just be like, oh, it's fine, let's not make a fuss. Yeah. Get to a hotel and it's all prepared for you and they'd made a little uh, like teepee for our daughter and it, they'd really gone Aww. to the effort and it was just lovely. I remember so not wanting to say anything that John and I just sleeping in a tiny little bed together, like snuggled up yeah. just because... We didn't want to. And I remember in Malaysia, actually, as well, because it was illegal in Malaysia and we were on a, we had to, there was a problem with our plane. We were petrified. I remember because we'd never knowingly chosen to go to a country where being gay was illegal and we found ourselves in one. And just we were so scared about saying anything or doing anything that it was just, yeah, that was a that was a weird, horrid evening. I sometimes but. get on a mission sort of vibe about it. And I remember once my wife and I were in Jerusalem and we were in this like old hotel in Jerusalem and there was a, a single bed and then they'd put up a camp bed next to it. And I was like, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. So I remember phoning reception and just being like, yes, we're a couple, we're married, we want a double bed so we can fornicate. <laughs> Obviously I didn't say that, but I sometimes I feel brave and just kind of like lean into the awkwardness and the, and then know that was the most awkward thing about that occasion. We then had to sit in the room while the maid came and like took the camp bed away. So this like really like disgruntled woman came was like huffing and puffing and oh sighing, God. like taking the camp bed down and like pushing another bed in and we're just there like la 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 (laughs) (laughs) I love it but I think the the lining to that whole story though is next time can uh, the hotel invite the Oakleys along as well oh yeah we must come as a package in future we need to we need to make a a point of that so bear with me we're about to speak to our wonderful guests I'm just about to crack open my uh there we go my parents ruin which I have tonight what have you got tonight for a weekday evening, I've got some kombucha. I've got a no-alcohol nanny state. See, look at what is happening to us, Lottie. Our parents' ruin is not even going to ruin us It's at all. not going to ruin us. <laughs> so whilst I uh, sip away at my non-alcoholic beverage, and Lottie does hers, here is the Subway Dads. I'm Pete Mercurio. I'm Danny Stewart. And right now we are dads, fathers of a junior in college. I am a writer and a graphic designer and we both live in New York City. 
And I'm a social worker. I work with youth and young adults experiencing homelessness, and I also teach a graduate level social work course. We are so excited that we've got you on the show. Your story is incredible. For those listeners who don't know your story, can you tell us a little bit about the moment when your son first came into your life? Sure. Well, it was a night, August 28th, 2000, and Pete and I had made arrangements to meet up for a dinner date, probably about 7.30 that night. I was running a little late from work. I had left work a little late, so I was rushing. I was hoping to get the express train. That didn't happen. I got. I was on the local. When I exited the station and I was getting ready to leave, I noticed on the ground a bundle um, and what I thought was a doll on the ground, a little two legs sticking out. And I'm exiting, and right before I'm out of view, I glance back one more time and that's when the legs started to move and I knew it wasn't a doll so I rushed back down and I made sure he was okay tried to alert somebody to what was going on couldn't get anyone's uh, attention at this time and so I this was before we had cell phones so I knew that there was a payphone just up, up above on the street level and I ran up the steps I called the police I called 911 to let them know I found a baby and I, I told them where I was located. I ran back down the steps um, to the baby and was waiting. It seemed like forever. After a few minutes or more, I'm not sure, time was standing still for me. I thought, well, they probably thought it was a prank call. I need to get somebody else to call the police. And I had a quarter in my pocket. I ran back up to that payphone. I called Pete and blurted out, I found a baby. Wow. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I pick up the phone thinking he's going to tell me he's going to be even later for dinner than he already was. And so uh, I, I'm kind of the type of person that gets hangry. So I was really sort of to lace into him a little bit. And when I, when I heard him, his panic tone and his frantic voice say, I found the baby, I, I didn't process it right away, but I knew something was wrong. Just the tone of his voice was just so alarming. So I said, what did you say? He said, I found the baby. And I said, where are you? He said, no, I called the police, but I don't think they believe me. Uh, can you call 911? And, and I said, where are you? I kept saying, where are you? And he finally told me he was you know, at the subway station a block from our apartment at 15th Street and 8th Avenue. So I said, I'm just going to run down there. As I'm saying that, he hangs up on me because by the time I got there, uh, the police had arrived while he was on the phone with me. He's standing at the top of the steps, and I run up to him and was like, where's the baby? And he turns to look at the, the steps leading down to the subway station, and just then two police officers are are bringing the baby up. One of them is holding the baby in his arms and it was just a, well, chills and goosebumps and everything you can imagine in that moment um, just ran up and down my spine. Now, of course, that had already happened to Danny because he discovered the baby. And by this point, I think he was a little numb and in shock. I, w- I was trying to talk to him a little bit and he was just sort of like out of it. Like, like he couldn't believe that this had happened and this was happening. Wow. What an incredible day and so much insane chance that went into you being there at that exact moment and finding the baby it's just mind-blowing can you tell us a bit then about how the option to adopt came up and I'm particularly interested in the conversations that the two of you were having at the same time as that and the kind of things that you were considering discussing and potentially even disagreeing about 
Well, we went on with our lives. The baby was placed in the foster care system, and then Danny got a call from an administration. And we never talked about having kids. I mean, maybe in a very brief passing conversation, out having drinks one night, we might have might have said to each other, "Do you ever think about having a family someday?" And I think we both sort of laughed at that idea and said, "Yeah, well, you know, let's talk about that when we're 40." And you know, we were in our early 30s then, so it was it was just like a joke, like, "No, it's never probably never going to happen." Yeah. So um, I get this call. And it's the ACS is the Administration for Children's Services. It's the child welfare organization in the city. Uh, they called me. They said, we've been looking for you. And I said, oh, you know, we would like for you to come in to provide a testimony to what happened to the finding of the baby. We're having a hearing to terminate the parental rights. And we think that your testimony would add it to the hearing and that would really help. So I said, sure. I go in and... To provide my testimony, I provide the circumstances that led to me finding the baby. And that was it. I, I thought it was over, but the judge asked me if I would not mind uh, remaining for the, the duration of the hearing. I said, well, I've got to get back to work. I had just started a new job, and I was concerned about being off, <laughs> leaving too long. So she said, sure, no, it, it's not going to take too long. And sure enough, it didn't. The two police officers that had showed up provided their testimony of what had happened when they arrived on the scenes and then took the baby to the hospital. And then she addressed me and she said, Mr. Stewart, I just want to let you know uh, what's happening here. In situations where we have a baby that's been abandoned, we want to place that baby in pre-adoptive foster care as quickly as possible. And I'm thinking in my head, well, that makes a lot of sense. And then she says, would you be interested in adopting this baby? And all the eyes in the courtroom were on me. I, I, I just took a second and I said, yes, but I don't think it's that easy. To which she then smiled, um, gave a little chuckle, and she said, well, it can be. If you are interested in adopting this baby, it can be. You'll need to show up at the next hearing and state your intention. Wow. Wow. I know. And yes. did that... <laughs> And did that yes come in your head that quickly? I'm an adopted dad myself to three children, and I've been through the process that we have over in the UK. I know it's slightly different to the US, but fairly same in, in some places. And I just find this whole idea quite fascinating. And obviously, it's such an extreme circumstance. And I can't imagine, Danny, the pressure of being in that courtroom and having just somebody blindside you with a question like that. I mean, for you, was it was it an immediate guttural, like, yes? Or was it the circumstance just at that time? I'm just really curious about the, how you must have been feeling standing there. I think in the moment, I was just instinctually, I said yes. And I think for a number of reasons. I mean, I had some conversations with friends who had experience in foster care and adoptive care. So they told me what the process was like and how long it took. So that was thinking about that. It's like, oh, well, this is going to take six to nine months. That's generally what happens, right? And so that was one thing that was in my head. And the other thing I was just, I was, of course, unexpectedly, I mean, this was not expected at all, this question. And I, I think I took it as an opportunity that this was something that was being offered as a gift. This baby was being offered as a gift. And, and I had to say yes. Wow. Um, I, I did not even think that I would, would say no because in the back of my head, I think that that was what I really wanted without even processing because I didn't really have the time to process in the moment. 
and I was definitely in a state of shock with the question <laughs> and all the events that had happened really. But that was something that I think I just, I went on instinct that this, yeah. seemed, this seemed like the right thing to do. This was just meant to happen. So then you, you go home um, and what... <laughs> What were those um, conversations like? You know, what did you every, do that night? Did you like have a bottle of wine and go through everything or no, was no, it an we, argument? So, so there were, there were yeah. several arguments. There were yeah. many arguments because all the, the question you just asked Danny about how, how did you say yes in the courtroom? Like how, like how, why did you even say yes? Uh, you, I still look at him. I'm waiting for... <laughs> I'm waiting for an answer that makes sense to me because I don't, I don't know why he said yes. And that was what I said to him when we talked later on that night. I said, how could you say yes without consulting me? Like we've been together three and a half years and I'm thinking this is going to affect me too. How, you know, how did you just say yes? You could say yes, but I should talk about it with my partner first and we'll get back to you. You know, there's many things you could have said instead of just saying yes. So, you know, but he kept... You know, I have you know I take his answer at face value because he kept saying to me even that night, well, fate is giving us this opportunity. Fate is giving us this opportunity to be parents, and I don't know if we'll ever have an opportunity. We'll never have this opportunity again. And this will never we'll never have this kind of opportunity again. How how can we turn this down? How can we refuse? And you know, it took a lot of soul searching on on both of our parts, but more me because I didn't want my life to change in that moment. Um, I was very happy the way things were going. And and so we had a lot of heated discussions and heated arguments. And I, I think, um, you know, going back to that question, and this has been pretty true for most of my life, I can make really, it's easy for me to make big decisions, paralyzed in those moments of making the everyday decisions, but in big life-changing ones it's like I feel really sure about my decision making and I think that that was a big part of it that night because I did feel like that this was this was a gift and we can't yeah we had to say yes to a gift yeah that makes complete sense you know because six months (laughs) six months into us dating Danny asked me to marry him this is in 1998 it was just a big decision he was like yeah I, I can make this big decision and I just said, are you crazy? We only know each other six months. <laughs> and then he said, never ask me that question I did say that. Again. I said, don't ever ask me that question again. <laughs> and so again. I never did. <laughs> Until, yeah, he never did. I never, never did. did. I still haven't. He's, <laughs> no, you haven't. That's true. But we're married. So we're married. Yeah. We're married. Oh. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to ask about, just going back to that moment again, because I'm fascinated about that, that, that moment in the courtroom and in the hearing and the judge as well because I feel like it's obviously your story has an incredible happy ending it's almost fairy tale-esque and I imagine life wasn't a fairy tale and there's lots of ups and downs along the way I'm sure but in the sense of you know that that sense of finding a baby and so it feels like a tv show or a film or something you know but it could have been so different. I mean, that judge, she didn't know you. You you could have been anyone. I mean, did she know you were gay? Obviously, through the adoption process, you're so vetted. You're so, you know, you go through such a long process. Just to kind of throw that out to basically a stranger. We have thought about that for years and years, yeah. um, why she asked him. and We finally got an answer. Well, we asked, we asked her on the day that we were, that 
our adoption, she was finalizing the adoption, which was in December of 2002. He was our foster son for two years until he was legally adopted. And what, after she signed the papers, um, I just raised my hand and I said, Your Honor, we've been curious for the last two years, why did you, what did you see in Danny? Why did you ask him if he was interested in adopting? And, and she just looked at us and she was ready to go on to the rest of her day. She looked at us and she said, I had a hunch. Was I wrong? Wow. That's all what she <laughs> and said. And we were like, okay, no, you weren't wrong. We're taking our baby now. We're going to go home. <laughs> I think that that also speaks to, she was just going on this leap of faith. Yeah. And her instinct. I mean, she had been a family court judge for over 30 yeah. years. So she had seen a lot of situations that were not good, that had, didn't have a good, a happy ending. But she um, still had no way of knowing whether you were going to no, provide the happy ending. But she had no way of so, knowing yeah. me. She didn't know anything about me. Yeah. Did you work in social work at the time, Danny? I was a social worker. I was working in HIV and AIDS at the time. But I, uh, yeah, I didn't have specific foster care or adoptive yeah. care experience. I'm jumping ahead a little bit in the story here. But we, when we got married, when she officiated our marriage in 2012, we were able to ask her. Uh, we had a lot more time with her. She wanted to sit down with Danny and me first before we had the ceremony without our son, without Kevin being there. And so in those more in-depth conversations, we're talking 10 years later, we hadn't talked to her or talked to anybody in family court or anybody in the foster care system. We were, you know, parenting on our own. And she said her response to uh, when we asked her, we want to follow up, you know, on that question of why you asked Danny. And she elaborated a little bit more and she said, well, I think that every baby needs a connection to someone in this world. And I felt a very deep connection that Danny and this baby had. And I didn't think that this baby had that kind of connection with anybody else. And the reason why she was able to do all this so quickly, um, we learned about that too. Because even we were like, how is this happening so yeah. quickly? How does she have the authority? She expedited everything. There was a pilot program going on in New York State, or maybe New York City, might have been that small. In cases of abandoned children, she was the judge in charge during this pilot program to expedite everything as quickly as possible so the baby does not get into the foster care system and, and just languish. languish in the yeah. system. So she was able to expedite home study, expedite background check, uh, expedite having him come home to live with us, all of that. And that we fell within the jurisdiction of that pilot program. It was a six-month window. And Danny and Kevin finding each other and becoming his foster parents to adoption happened all within the, that six-month window. Amazing. So it was just another thing that completely lined up because mm. if that pilot program ends, our process of probably becoming his parents does take a lot longer. Yeah. Mm. And did the fact that you were a gay male couple ever make things more difficult, to your knowledge? To, not to our knowledge. No. Um, we, were, we were waiting for it. Yeah. We were expecting <laughs> right. it. Yep. We were expecting there to be roadblocks or to someone to have some type of obje objection or something to happen, but we mm. never experienced anything that was um, that, uh, a discrimination or that put any type of obstacle in our way to making it happen. But we were and, looking for it too. We were, yeah. we were on edge waiting for it. If anything, the foster care agency yeah. that, the, that we were working with had actively been uh, recruiting in the gay community. So we were just we got lucky there too. We weren't aware of how much everything was just syncing up and lining up without us knowing about it. 
Wow, it's, I've got like goose pimples. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm all shivery. Just thinking, it's crazy about it. how the yeah, world I... works in mysterious ways. And so, just to clarify on that as well, then, so adoption for gay couples in America was legal at that time because in the UK, and I may get somebody correcting me on this, but I'm sure because we've talked about it before. I think it's 2002 was when it was actually made legal in the UK to adopt for gay couples. Yeah. So here it was a state by state thing. I see. And in New York State, it didn't necessarily, the, the law was ambiguous and it didn't necessarily discriminate or disallow same sex couples from adopting. The law was written that unmarried couples could not jointly adopt. Mm-hmm. So yeah. generally, because gay people were not allowed to get married at the time, it mm. kind of was a discriminatory, you know, a law that discriminated against gay couples that wanted to adopt. And the law was so murky, it was left to the discretion of an individual judge to decide whether that would be allowable or not. So let's say a judge in upstate New York, you know, in Syracuse, a same-sex couple wanted to adopt a baby and they're appearing in that judge's courtroom. She can say, well, one of you can adopt first and the other one has to petition later to become a co-parent. And so we were thinking that's what we were gonna have to do. And our judge just said, oh no, no, both of your names are going on the birth certificate at the time of adoption. So we both were jointly adopting at the same time. Just another thing that, you know, um, it was, was unheard of. It was really it was unheard of. rare. Yeah. I think they were. She's incredible. She was a legend. She, yeah. She's amazing. That's she's, why she's still a part of our yeah, extended bit, family. A little bit yeah. a part of our extended family. She's like um, what you said earlier about it as a fairy tale kind mm. of a story. So in that story, she would be the fairy godmother. Yes. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When my husband and I adopted, we had so much time to prepare. Obviously, things weren't as managed in your case. And I believe your son ended up coming home literally just before Christmas. Yes. Um, with only a few days notice. Can you talk about that experience and how did you feel in that moment? And, you know, do you remember that feeling you had when he was sleeping in your home for the first time? Yes, um, you're right. Um, when we go back to court to state our intentions, this was December 20th. 
and the judge says, looks down and says, oh, would you like to have him for the holiday visit? And <laughs> so we both said yes, and not realizing that was in two days. And no, so she, that she meant two days. She meant yeah. two days. And so the in our heads, the months and months of preparation got boiled down to 48 hours. Wow. So yes, another thing that was totally unexpected. Thankfully, Pete's family and friends of ours just kind of rushed in to come in to help us and get everything, get our apartment, get our lives ready to have a baby come into it. Um, so our, our apartment was transformed into a nursery in less than 48 hours. Yeah. But the day that he came home, which was on December 22nd, I mean, I definitely remember every moment of that. Yep. The moment that we held him, we carried him home. We had made the decision to, we could have taken a taxi or a cab from there, but it's like, no, he came into our lives. We found each other on the subway. We're going to go home on a subway. So we took the subway home. Yeah, we didn't from, have a stroller yet, so we carried him we to had, the train station. We didn't have a carrier. Station. We just had the blanket that he it, was brought was to the sitting on the on the foster care agency. Yeah. In, I think people actually got up to give us a seat too. But it was a magical moment of, of riding that train, and then we were as we got out of the train, it started to snow. So it just yeah. added to the magic yeah. of the moment. Um, a few flurries coming down as we we're walking that one block from the train station to our apartment. And then finally getting him home um, and yeah. him falling asleep Ugh. on yeah. as we're laying on the couch. And it just at that moment, we exhaled and just could not believe that we were, this was happening. It, 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 was, it was just uh, disbelief and wonder and love. I mean, you instantly love this little person that you, you have to take care of now for the rest of his life. I remember after we put like a ton of stuff away because my, my, some of my family members brought tons of stuff in in their cars from New Jersey. And so they just unloaded it and it was just everywhere in the apartment. It was almost unlivable the way they just packed <laughs> stuff in there. So after we sort of were taking care of Kevin and putting stuff away, we had a quiet moment and Kevin was laying on my chest on the, we were laying down on the sofa and he was sucking some and drooling all over and me falling asleep falling asleep and then Danny sits on the floor next to us and he just looks up at me and we don't say a word to each other and we're just sort of like just like we, I think we just like look bug-eyed and was like this is this is real this is there's a real baby on my chest right now um, and wow. he's our son you know, it, was it was truly it was, a beautiful moment. Yeah. But life changes when you become a parent and everything kind of around you changes and I'd imagine the shift in your relationship as well was 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 quite dramatic and and also tell us a little bit about how you kind of settled into life with him with him um and particularly as well did you find yourself falling into any particular like gendered roles well that's really an interesting question and it's like I'm, i remember we used to get that a, a lot early on i think we just naturally settled into comfortable roles uh, whether they're gendered, I mean, of course, parenting is often thought about in a gendered way, but um, I just, I, I tended to be one who maybe more of the maternal one. Kevin would call out if he had a bad dream or if he 
probably telling say, way too much information, but when he got to be toilet trained, a potty trained, and he needed, <laughs> he, he needed, he needed to, his, his hiney wiped, he would call out, Daddy, come wipe my butt. He never called out, Papa, come wipe my butt. I don't know why. I'm, I'm <laughs> really glad he didn't. Kevin, but... if he's listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, and but... I think, did you train him in that? Did you? Ask, yes. Ask Daddy, ask I, w- I would reward him with stickers <laughs> if he didn't call my name out. No, I didn't do that. But um, it's a great he did gravitate. Gravi- he did gravitate towards to, to me more for like playing and uh, you know because he knew I played softball and if we ever wanted to toss the ball around the house, he was like as soon as Danny Danny would pick up a ball, he's like, no, I want Papa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in general, we felt very unencumbered by any kind of stereotypical straight gender. Mm. parental roles mm. absolutely um, yeah. we felt no we felt unconstrained by all of those roles and, and so mm. we made the rules as we went along like, in fact and when parents like some of the other parents would ask they're like oh which one is you the mommy which one's you the yeah, daddy? He's I like, know, what, really what are you talking about we're both <laughs> we're both dads and we both do everything that needs to be done for a child so yeah. mm. it's something <laughs> that we speak to yeah. so many of our guests about and Stu and i also you know completely concur so kevin is now 20 right and studying yeah. at university got congratulations you made it amazing (laughs) you're on the other side and it feels like a really long way for Stu and I who both have toddlers so what was your experience of communicating to Kevin his background and origin story like and can you maybe give Stu and I some advice in terms of talking um to children about how they were brought into your family or how how they came into the world sure so we we never shied away about talking about how Kevin came into our lives mm-hmm. ever and even in front of him like people, people some people would be like oh should we you know I want to ask you some things about what happened but should we not talk about it in front of your son and we were like no he's he is going to hear everything right up right, right out in the open and you know he as a young kid he, I don't think he processed any of this we were just his dads we were his family but one thing that concerned us was when he started to be in environments when he was w- with other kids and their families and their parents knowing his story. We didn't want him to come home from daycare or school when he got to elementary school and say to us, my friend so-and-so on the playground overheard his mommy say that I was found in the subway. I don't, I, what's going on? Like, I, we didn't want him to be shocked by hearing mm-hmm. his story by, from somebody else. So we created this really simple color printout children's picture book that we decided we'll tell his story to him in a way that he could digest because he loved being read to at night. So we created this book and we would just flip through the pages, turn them, and he would, we would read it to him for about a year. And it took about a, and we used all of our real names. I, he was Danny, I was Pete, Kevin was Kevin in the story. And about a year later, he, after we read it to him one night, he looked it up, looked up at us and said, is this about me? And then he was so proud of it. He owned his story. He brought it into show and tell at school. He wanted all of his friends to know his story. So we, we always thought that we needed to let him know mm-hmm. about his origin and how we became a family as early as possible in the most age-appropriate way. We would never use the word abandoned no. or left. Mm-hmm. We would always we would say found. Of, they they, they found, found each, each other. other. Yeah, you know, um, when just we, just you know now you know he's older and all those words mean something you know different. But. When we would go through that transition, because once again it was our 
it was the train station closest to where we lived, so we would use it all the time. And when we would go through that station, we would offer, always reference, this is the place, this is, this yeah. is where we found each other. When he was adopted, one of the things that they recommended for any child coming out of the foster care system was to create a scrapbook mm-hmm. of how you all became a family. And so Danny did most of the work on the scrapbook. It took um, me 10 years, but I finally finished yeah, it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it took 10 years to document the first two years. But we, Kevin would do it with me. Right, Kevin, so Kevin would do it with him. And when Kevin he got old enough, they would, they would finish the... Cut the, photos yeah, out. And, like, yeah, and so, and so Danny nice. would write, he would inscribe things in there and, and all the players, like the people from the foster care agency and the judge, and so they were all in the scrapbook as well. How um, wonderful. So it was a way for, you know, for him to be also involved in... In yeah. his own his own story. Yeah, and because he's twenty now, and you know, children who have been foundlings and don't have any kind of history on their past, which I'm assuming that he has no idea about who left him or the circumstances. And right. he's at that age potentially where he may want to start to find out. It may be a dead end, and it may be a frustrating dead end for him, but. Is that something that you've come up against? And is that something you're kind of prepared for? And Yeah, I mean, we actually just recently yeah. had a conversation with him last weekend about that. We brought it, we brought, we would been bringing it up periodically. And we brought it up again, you know, Kevin, we, we just want to let you know if you ever want to know more about your, any biological relatives and your ancestry, we fully support you in this process. It doesn't diminish our love. It doesn't diminish what we have as a family for you to know more about where you came from and others that may, may share, um, your lineage. Yeah. And so he said, no, I'm not interested yeah, right, right now. Right now I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that doesn't mean he won't be at some yeah. point later. Mm-hmm. I think he's just very focused on school. Uh, his, his mm-hmm. goal of completing school and, and graduating and the, the next step after that. Mm-hmm. We've said this to him at different stages of his life. Like, if you are ever interested, it, it don't, we are not, don't, you don't have to try to protect us from any journey you want to go on and trying to find out. Um, who you, you know, who might be out there that you're biologically related to? I said we fully support you in that. In fact, we would love to, you know, come on that journey with you. So it's not something that's going to offend us or upset us in any way. So much of this feels like you've handled so incredibly well, and I'm so uplifted to hear all of the positive stories. But what what were some of the challenges or the biggest challenges throughout your experience as parents? I think the most challenging, and this is going back a ways, and you know where I'm going with this, right? Oh, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> Our really sweet kid, when he turned three, turned into an absolute monster. Hmm. The temper tantrums oh, they were, horrible. were unbelievable for a year. We're talking tantrums where he would stop on the sidewalk when we were walking and just collapse to the ground and pound his head into the ground. And like I, I remember one winter I had a, a glove, a mitten on or something, and I had to put it between his head and the sidewalk so he wouldn't injure himself. And he's screaming, get off of me, leave me alone, leave me alone. And I'm thinking, okay, here's this white man holding, like trying to comfort this three-year-old, this toddler is of color. Like, what does this look like? And that went on for a year. Now, un, uh, unprovoked tantrums. Yes. Um, it was just the most, that was definitely the most challenging time for us. It was yeah, that, we that year of tantrums. We tried so many different things oh, like let's ignore gosh. it, let's be more direct, let's try to control. Nothing yeah. seemed to work. Yeah. Um, he would, 
terrorize his room. Oh Everything my God. would be torn up. Every stuffed animal would be out. Everything would be out of the drawers. It would just be wow. a nightmare. This lasted until the final time. Yeah, the last um, tantrum. The last tantrum was I was cooking dinner. I was trying the technique of ignoring the tantrum. He was in his bedroom. He was throwing everything out and all of his stuffed animals. I come, he comes running into the, the, the kitchen and says, Elmo's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> he had thrown the Elmo doll on top of the lamp and it was smoking. It was actually... Oh, my God. It was, the fur was, it was burning. Burnt. It was the fur burnt. was burning on the light bulb, yeah. Oh, my God. And that scared him. <laughs> it scared I'm me, too. I'm laughing now, but it probably wasn't funny in the moment. Um, and there was no more temper tantrums after the mm. <laughs> fire. Amazing. Yep. Oh, my gosh. We um, should have saved yeah. that charred stuffed animal. Yeah, it could have been amazing. I wish we had. Reminder. I wish we had. But. Just before we talk about your book, guys, I just wanted to ask, because um, we did a, an episode quite recently about transracial adoption. And I just wondered on that point whether finding out about Kevin's ethnicity and background in that respect and kind of making that something that was very much part of his life that you sort of understood and talked about, how you negotiated that as two white people. Sure. Do you want to start? Sure. I mean, we never knew for certain what his ancestry was until we did DNA testing, but that was much later. Like he was 13 or 14 years yeah, old. Yes, so that was much later. So early on, he understood the, the differences in our skin color. And he would, um, when he came to the realization that there was somebody out there, a mother that gave birth to him, that probably looked like him, he was very interested in what she would look like. And so he was interested in trying to find her. Or, and so, or see a picture of or her. Or see That's a picture of her. He just like, wanted to see what she looked and like. And when we yeah. told him, it's like, we have no way of finding this, finding her. So he would, we would go places and he would notice, like, well, she's got a skin color like me. She could be like my mother. And it's like, yes. And so we kept, we would acknowledge that. As far as, you know, raising him, uh, as you know, trying to be understanding and respectful of race and racism, that was something that we probably could have done better, thinking maybe having more conversations, but those didn't really happen until much later in his adolescence. We were more concerned with his safety. We were more concerned as he was getting older and bigger how, and particularly in, in the United States where there were very high profile instances of young men of color being killed by law enforcement or by others, that was definitely a concern of ours. Yeah, we have, mm-hmm. we've, we've had multiple conversations over the years pertaining to just those very things. You know, he wanted to, we were at a relative's house in rural Maryland um, and he wanted to go out for a jog in a hoodie. And this was around the time that Trayvon Martin was murdered in Florida. And I had to pull him aside and I said, Kevin, we're not in the, we're not, I don't feel comfortable with you going out and jogging in this neighborhood right now. um, And here's why. And that was the first time we had had a conversation like that with him. Um, And now he's recently um, had conversations with us about how he feels like he's perceived as a, he's six foot three. He's a big guy, and he's very careful about how he presents himself, himself as to not appear like a threat to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's that's mm-hmm. just 
breaks our heart. It does. That's, yeah, it's just, that's it makes exhausting to walk around all day. So out of all of this now, you have a book that's coming out. It's called Our Subway Baby, and it is an illustrated children's book about your family. Our Subway Baby book that is out now is written in first-person direct address of me telling the story to our son of how we became a family. Mm. And so it's basically like a love letter to him. So I'll read you from when we take him home on the subway. We sat in the corner with you on our laps. We were so happy it was contagious, and other passengers smiled at us. Soon the rocking and swaying made you sleepy, and I still remember how you looked at us and yawned. Then you closed your eyes and took your first nap as our son. There we were, the three of us, in a dream we hadn't dreamt but that came true anyway. Sometimes life hinges on little moments, happy accidents, and miraculous surprises. Sometimes babies are born into forever families. Sometimes they are adopted. And sometimes... All it takes to find your family is a chance glance at tiny toes wiggling in the corner of a subway station. Oh, actually crying. (laughs) So thank you, Danny, and thank you, Pete, for joining us on Some Families and sharing your simply incredible and heartwarming story with us. Yes, listener, go and get the book, please. We're going to put a link to where you can buy it in the show notes. Is there anything that you'd like to share with the class today? I do, actually, because I do just want to say a huge thank you to Muddy Puddles. Muddy Puddles are a kids' outdoor clothing range who very kindly have gifted Lottie and I with some amazing puddle suits. Not for Lottie and I, I must admit. I don't think I'd be able to fit into them. (laughs) As, as fetching as I would look in them, but for our little ones, they're fabulous, rainbow-themed, gorgeous, just colourful, wonderful things. They are constantly covered in mud and it drives me insane. And actually, very briefly, just to bring to show and tell, is we've been talking a lot about parents represented in mainstream media. Mm. I watched, for my sins the other night, the Netflix, uh, new Netflix film with Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. I think it's called Oh Fun yeah, I was, I've been umming and ahhing about watching that. Do it, watch it, it's fun. It's just okay. like really throwaway fun. It's like good for a Friday night when you've had five gins. Mm. But midway through, there's just a point where she throws a bus, it's that type of film, She's a superhero. She throws a bus across New York City and suddenly it cuts just really quickly to these two guys with a little girl. And the little girl goes, Dad, that woman just threw a bus. And then it goes on to the next thing. And it's fine. But it was just like that moment of just having two gay dads and their daughter. Just a yes. little nod to it. it was so More nice. of this, please. Yeah. Oh, if great. you have any um, <laughs> examples of representation of LGBTQ plus parents in film or television that are either fantastic or horrific, get in touch. Let us know. You can email us at somefamilies at storyhunter.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram or Twitter. We are at somefamiliespod.com. Or you could even check out our lovely website, which is somefamiliespod.com. So it's goodbye for now, but we'll be back next week with another episode. Bye-bye. This episode was produced and edited by Hattie Moyer. Some Families is a Story Hunter production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.